Hello, this is Mr. Carney. Today, we are going to read Chapter 5 of the Green Book. Again, it was the children who found it, or rather found that it was happening. They were all playing in Boulder Valley. Patty and Jason were in charge of some of the even smaller children, the ones who had been born on the journey. Jason's sister, Mary, and Malcolm's smallest, Bob and some others. All the grown-ups were in a conference of some kind, and Sarah and Joe seemed to count as grown-ups now. The children were in Boulder Valley, playing at climbing up the boulders and sliding off them again. Patty had a picnic, the usual iron rations picnic, in a gray tin from the ship's stores, and she was spreading it out for them on a cloth on the grass. Square, gray, hard biscuits, and gray, brown chocolate, and pink, pasty guava jam. Patty liked playing fathers, and it made her feel grown up. She saw Mary some way off and called her back. Come and slide on this stone, Mary. We're just ready to eat. I'm not sliding on that one, Mary said. It pushed me off. Oh, rubbish, Mary. Come on. It did. It did, said Mary, coming back all the same when she saw the picnic. I climbed up it, and it shrugged itself and made me fall off. Jason looked at it with interest, biting a biscuit. Its shape looks different from before, he said. So Patty stared at it, too. And while they were looking, a crack appeared in the stone. It just tore open a little way. And there inside, like a piece of wet gray velvet. I don't like it here, wailed Mary. Well, let's go home. The stone tore some more, tore and moved. Not that it moved on the ground, but it moved inside. Like a person in a sleeping bag shifting arms and legs. Let's go now, said Patty. They left the picnic just where it was and began to go, scrambling up the sloping slide of the boulder towards the path to shine. But as they went, all the stones in the valley were moving. They were heaving and shuddering and tearing open. A very big one lay close to the path home. And as they got near... They saw it had opened right down the middle and a draggled silvery gray wing with dark purple bot blotches on it lay like a tablecloth across the path. We'll be all right, said Patty very bravely, if we just run. When I say now, now. And they ran. They ran around the edge of the spread wing and reached the top of the slope and stopped for breath, and looked back. All over the bowl of the valley, the stones were tearing and crumpling and showing soft, furry wings. On the farther side of the valley, one giant moth got all the way out and was half fluttering, half crawling on the ground, fanning its wings in the sun. They were losing the damp look and turning a bright, dusty silver marked with crimson. Very near them, 
just below where they stood, the moth whose wing had lain in their way was fighting his body free of the crumbling stone. He was thick gray and furry, but he had front arms and a round head like a person, and he was actually looking at them with dark red, vacant, lidless eyes. He made Patty feel very frightened and sick, and she screamed and took Mary's hand and ran and ran away. They all ran, screaming and crying into the grown-ups' meeting, and some of the men took guns, and all the people ran back to the hill towards Boulder Valley. But Patty sat and thought. Now that she wasn't looking at them anymore, she wasn't sick at the moth people. When she remembered she had climbed all over them, she went and asked Jason's mother, who was trying to calm the babies down. What do moths eat? Will they eat us? Oh, heavens no, said Jason's mother. Moths on earth ate nectar from flowers, I think. Not meat. So Patty went to the cupboard in her hut and fetched a pan of the lovely tree candy and started out after the others to Boulder Valley. And as she got to the edge of the valley, the moth people began to fly overhead. Their huge beating wings made the wind that stroked Patty's face and flattened her hair back from her forehead, just like the wind at home. All those years closed inside the spaceship, and the time on the new planet had made Patty forget the air could move. The air could touch you, as the quiet air of a new place never did. But the eight-foot span of dozens of pairs of wings made the air into wind. Over Patty's upturned face, a great flock of them came, wheeling and turning in the air over shine, and over the green turning gold of the colony's precious wheat field, fluttering down and around as though they were looking. One of the huge things alighted just in front of Patty. It had a round head, halfway between a person's head and a wrinkled walnut. It had been it had trembling antennae, which bent and quivered towards her. It had six legs to stand on, and its body was furry, silver furry. It folded its wings together above its body and stood. Patty closed her eyes, took three steps forward, and put the pan of candy on the ground, and then took three steps back and opened her eyes. The moth felt forward towards the candy and then began to eat, unrolling a long black tongue and twisting it around the pan. Then it sort of dipped to her as if bowing and spread its lovely wings and flew so close over Patty's head she ducked. And then she looked up and saw all the grown-ups coming back in a group and watching her being brave and kind. After that, we put a big pan of tree candy on the ground outside Shine as a friendship present to the moth people and went and stood to be scarecrows, scare moths, around the edge of the fields of wheat. For the moth people kept flying, filling the air with the silky sound of wings and all circling around Shine as though they were full of curiosity about it. 
Of course, by and by, some of them fluttered down, as if they were going to settle on the nodding heads of wheat. And then the guide fired his gun, just in the air, just to frighten them. They all fluttered up again and beat around and around. When that happened three times, they seemed to understand we didn't want them landing on the wheat, and they kept away. There were a lot of them eating the candy we had given them. Patty thought it was unkind to fire guns to frighten them, but the guy told her the wheat was so brittle that anything would break and crush it down, and we couldn't afford to risk it. Uh, why bother, growled Arthur. We've got eyes. We can see what is happening to the wheat. Patty picked up a stem of wheat to look at it closely. Within the folded leaf, the grains were swelling and hardening. She peeled the leaf off and saw the closed-packed grains within. They had edges. She pulled them off the stalks and tumbled them into the palm of her hand. Little shining green glass hexagons like beads. The wrong shape. Hard and facet like glass. Patty looked up from the the beads in her hand across the field. It was just turning from pale green gold to yellow, like the crust on bread. It was ripening, as it ought to, but it was too shiny, too transparent. Patty felt frightened. The wheat field was more frightening than the moths. When it got dark that day, the people of Shine went home to bed and a watch was set for the first time since the land survey came home. But the moth people didn't sleep. They flew. The soft pulse of their wings beat around shine all night and brushed across the glassy walls of their huts. Father said they were drawn by the light of the fires and the jellyfish lamps. Their shadows filtered across, blanketing out the warm glow that showed from neighbors' houses passing and repassing, blundering into the house walls and making them shake. After a while, people put out the lamps and damped down the fires, and the moth people were quieter. Malcolm came visiting father that evening. They talked in the darkness. Malcolm was excited. Those very slow biorhythms that showed up on the scanner, he said. I thought it must have been some kind of mistake some kind of malfunction in the computer. But I'll bet now they weren't. They were the sleep rhythms of these moths in the chrysalis stage. I don't think they're any danger to us. What do you think, Malcolm? asked Father. That I can't say, said Malcolm. Maybe not. They aren't likely to be competing form of life. They don't seem hostile, do they? Just curious, said Father. Think, supposing they have a consciousness of some kind? They go to sleep on an empty planet and wake up to find us? What I'd like to know is what they eat at the grub stage, said Malcolm. Do they have a grub stage? asked Father. Well, who knows, said Malcolm. Who knows anything here? We must watch them closely. That's all. The moth people were with us for three days. We tried to talk to them, but it didn't work. The grown-ups tried very hard. They made lots of funny noises, 
through a loud hailer. They tried saying sign language. The moth people sometimes flew around and sometimes settled and looked at us, but they didn't seem to understand. We might have thought that they were stupid if they hadn't been for them joining in hopscotch. We were all playing hopscotch, the children, that is, down Lakeshore, and a moth person came and made a lot of little flights and landings alongside, as though he was jumping too. So we laughed and began to play Ring Around the Rosie, and the moth people came and fluttered around us in a ring outside our ring. So then we played Lamberth Walk, all making a long line and stamping along the beach. And they made a line too and came with us. We were very happy and we laughed a lot. Some of the grown-ups came down and watched. Then the moth people began a game of their own, flying in corkscrews, winding around and around each other. We jumped in the air and twisted as we fell, as though we were trying their game. And we laughed and rolled around on the beach. Sarah ran into the water and swam to see if they would share that too, but they didn't seem to like to go near the water. So in the end, we were all just dancing. Arthur brought out his squeeze box and played creaky music, and the children and grown-ups and moth people all danced around, and we were singing, In and out the dusty bluebells, you shall be my master. Patty was even brave enough to go and tap on one of the moth people and sing, pitter-patter-patter-pity on your shoulder to it. But it didn't really have a shoulder, so she dipped her fingers where its head joined its body, and it swept its wings up and down and up again at her. At last, when it got dark, we brought out pans of tree candy and gave it to them and went indoors to have our evening meals. Father said it was amazing the moth people didn't talk, and Patty told him she thought they did. She could just hear them making squeaking noises to each other, very high and faint. Father and Joe decided it was a very high-frequency sound that only young ears could pick up. This is the end of Chapter 5.